Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Dr. Timothy Hacker and Dr. Philip Konechny. Tim is the director of the Cardiovascular Physiology and Surgery Corps at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Philip is an application scientist and surgical trainer at Transonic, a company known for their products in biomedical flow measurement. They're here to discuss best practices and methods for accurate and repeatable collection of pressure volume data in large animal models of cardiac dysfunction and heart disease. Let's jump in. first question is going to touch on large animal experimentation, the expense of these experiments, and and how best to apply PV technology. So I think this one is going to be best fielded uh, by Tim. And specifically, we need to hear your thoughts on, you know, do you feel it needs to be a terminal study or, you know, the audience has asked, can I use this system serially in one animal? So again, how can PV science be applied in large animals most effectively considering the expense? Maybe just share your thoughts. So by using the, the same animal early, we can get baseline PV loops that either invoke the disease, myocardial infarction in one case, and the treatments, and we can measure a few times. And so by using percutaneous access, you can, you can go in the animal two, three times over the course of the experiment, over the course of the month, or, or two months or three months that you need to collect data from the animal. And, and again, this is good data. You know, it's it's the imaging. You're going to get a snapshot at that moment, particularly like MRI imaging. And frankly, in our institution here, the MRI imaging is about the same price as we can do PV loops in an animal. So we find it actually an advantage to use that, to use serial animals. Of course, at the end of the experiments, you know, the PV loop analysis is the gold standard. You can alter loading conditions. You can find true contractilities, which you can't do by any other means. Perfect. Next question. We've had some stuff come in about fads. Philip, you mentioned this in your introduction, and maybe you can uh, expand. So the question is, how is it best to utilize PV loops and, and the specific challenges surgically are related to data collection? So what can you share about basically PV loops and VAD research? Well, over the years, PV loop, what I would say about VADs, PV loop longitudinal evaluates the the support while find, can fine tune the device for a specific animal to work in the synergy. What does it mean, or what does it may mean? It may gives you uh, life warnings about if extreme uh, cases of unloading occurs. For example, I observed a creation of micro vacuum periods during unloading. With the let's say unloading, you're trying to push the RPM. Sometimes you're trying to capture the pump speed, but you don't look for other parameters and then unloading and loading and suddenly you have some micro vacuums created. Also what the pressure volume allows you and I haven't seen it in many publications. I looked through them with a fine tooth comb. It's combining the pump flow with the load independent indices. Like for example creating indices that can be further characterized pump unloading in relationship to innate cardiac contractility. For example, during, I don't know, axial or centrifugal centrifugal uh, flow support. Also, uh, pressure volume, if you collect, it helps you to detect and evaluate direct uh, MVO2 through capture of PVA, for example, pressure volume area, stroke volume plus PE. Another very good feature to have on board. And also, I also, stress out this is a longitudinal 
it's not a snapshot. It, it goes longitudinally, so every beat's captured. You turn the pump on, you capture the beat immediately when you're turning the pump on. You are not able to do it with echo. Otherwise, you will spend a lot of time to do a longitudinal echo, and but you don't have, again, ability to somehow store these, like store the longitudinal cine loops for over the 100 beats. Uh, this PV might help you in this. And lastly, sometimes you, you mentioned the surgical related to data collection. Uh, surgically, sometimes it creates an issue when you, for example, put the PV catheter into LV and you're trying to unload the LV. But over the years, I haven't seen too many devices that create an issue in a uh, matter of electrical interference. We can also always work with you on these questions, but I haven't seen too many interferences while we collect the data. Perfect. It's a very detailed answer. Thank you. All right, next one. Uh, it's specific about core lab business. So, Tim, I'm going to direct this one at you. How can PV loops and admittance technology be used best in a core lab? You know, it, this person has asked, Dr. Hackey, can you share your experience and approach to doing these type of large animal stories, uh, large animal studies in your core? Well, the, the trick is is to get the PV system in your core lab. <laughs> First and, and foremost. <laughs> right. And that's what we've kind of wrestled with. But usually most universities have some sort of capital exercise that they can do. And, you know, if you can gain a few different researchers that are interested in doing cardiovascular research, normally they're happy to throw in their capital exercise money at the end of the year to, to buy one. You'll get pretty close. Administrators like it because there's going to be multiple users for, for for the capital exercise type equipment. And that, that's how we got ours. Once we have it, it's sort of like, you know, field of dreams, build it and they will come. Then it's easy to get people to use it. They, you know, it's a pretty easy sell. It's the gold standard for, for cardiovascular measurements. There are other things. And, and frankly, you know, MR is popular on our campus, but it's not any cheaper to actually do MRs. They're charging some, some $500 an hour to get an image plus time for analysis. You know, we're, we're definitely in that range or less for large animals, even far less for small animals. And, and the, the variety of data that you can get from it, you know, just you can have this PV catheter in, you can do acute interventions, all kinds of different things, and you can monitor, you know, serially these animals. You can, you can, you have every data point is collected and you can get so much more data here from, you know, you can estimate, as Philip said, myocardial oxygen consumption from these things, work, relaxation. These are harder, you know, like from ultrasound, which would be quite a bit cheaper, you really don't get great relaxation data from them. I mean, you certainly don't get pressure data, which in most cases is, is what the body's monitoring, is what you want to be able to, to also monitor. And, you know, it really gives you, it really gives you an ideal window to what's happening in the cardiovascular physiology in your models. So once you have the system, it's a pretty easy sell. Perfect. Very good. Tim, for you, do you have any f experience yeah. using sevofluorine in, in place of isofluorine? We've had a couple questions come in from anesthesia, and maybe, Philip, you can chime in on this as well. Just thoughts, experience. We haven't used it at all, so I don't know. We haven't up upgraded any of our isofluorine vaporizers to that. It's supposed to be better. Mm -hmm. That's about as much as I know. <laughs> Philip, any comments for sevofluorine? I've used it before. Very similar results I have with the sevofluorine. The, again, minimal alveolar con concentrations are a little bit different. Mm, not sure about vasodilation. 
mm-hmm. and this don't have too many picks, which I tried, but no, I, I can relate to multiple data points on this. Okay, so kind of a new option and more to discover there. In terms of anesthesia, just in general, Alicio asks, is gas anesthesia typically enough when you have your animal down or will propofol or another drug drip be required? And again, what, what do you guys commonly do? We only use uh, isoflurane, and sometimes it, it really depended on your IACUC, and we go back and forth a lot of times with our IACUC mm-hmm. and what the, the vets like and what they think is adequate anesthesia as well. And here at our university, they they let us just use isoflurane. Sometimes they like a little bit of extra analgesia, so they'll ask you to have morphine or, or something else on board as well. But so far, we've gotten away with just isoflurane. Okay. And Philip, again, anything, you, you know, I guess maybe the question could be phrased, any particular situation where you found gas anesthesia is not sufficient? We used propofol in a couple of preps uh, while we did the VATS for a longer period of time. Okay. It helps. Uh, we used uh, DOCS. Also, we used PICS. Also, we use it in our uh, new PV implant. We're trying to gather together. We used the propofol. It helps us in certain times. Isoflurane we used also, but the propofol, yeah, dogs was the most that we used propofol on. Okay. Nothing to add to the how was it better or worse. Sometimes we saw a little bit of, even the propofol is marked as there's no drop of pressure. We saw a little bit of drop of pressure, but I cannot comment on the label really, but uh, that's what we experienced. It certainly sounds like a situational thing and, it, and you know, even depending on animal model and, and again, the, the research model. And Tim, as you said, it's, it's just be aware of it, how it may affect your outcome, but also whether you may need to use it. So it's a, it's a bit of an experimentation as I hear you guys talk about it. Would yeah. that be fair to say? Yeah. Um, yeah, propofol drip is like propofol doesn't last very long, so you, mm-hmm, there is some mm-hmm. ability to adjust it pretty quickly. Like isoflurane, you can slow down the drip and speed it up to to adjust fairly quickly the plane of anesthesia, which I think is most important, especially comparing animal to animal. That yeah. plane of anesthesia has to be similar. Excellent. That's why I put the Excel sheet in. So if if anything changes, just try to write it in. What I changed, how much I gave, and you have also pumps, right? So you're running the pump, so you exactly. know mm-hmm. what's the you know pump number. What you ran this dog on uh, sure. versus the next dog. Yeah. Sure. Okay, let's uh, switch gears. Um, Bruce asks about the use of fluoro and whether it is essential in. PV science for catheter placement. Tim, you talked about your approach. You mentioned x-ray helping you guys, but you also mentioned that really you're reliant on the phase signal as an indication of catheter location. You know, specifically, the question is, do I really need fluoro? Is it essential for proper placement? You know, what's your take, Tim, on this and based on your experience for LV and RV, frankly? (laughs) No, you could get away without it. It'd be hard. If you were doing an open chest and, a, and an apical stab, no, you wouldn't need fluoro at all. Um, right. Yep. Then, then you'd be sad. And so that's that's one way to do it. I would have trouble getting the catheter into the LV without it, but I wouldn't say it would be it wouldn't be impossible. You have the pressure, so you can mm-hmm. monitor the pressure window and you can see where you are in in the heart. I think the right ventricle would be near impossible without fluoro. The left ventricle, I would say, yeah, it's possible. If we do it in mice, we do it completely blind in mice. And so if you're starting from the right carotid, that catheter really only has about two places to go, either into the left ventricle or or down into down the, the abdominal 
a aorta, and if the pressures aren't what you like, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. pull it back and put it into the LV. That's right. So yeah, it's all possible. And then once it's in, then you know, we don't really use fluoro once once it's in the left ventricle. We just we use guide by how do the loops look and and is the phase right? That's right. Soft touch and looking at phase and magnitude and 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 loop shape. I guess that's something that has come up in past webinars and discussions is that you know there's something to be said about pressure volume loop shape as well and that you know you most softwares permit right i would say all softwares that people are using now permit a live xy plot of a pv loop and right. and that's important to have up on a monitor while you've got your hands on the catheter and doing those subtle twists as you said uh, tim you know just a small change of like a rotation of the catheter is often what you yeah. need yeah very and good we don't normally look at that by fluoro we just look at what what do the loops look like when mm-hmm. We're moving that catheter around. Do we get that? You know, we like to have a piece of toast up on our, <laughs> on our right. uh, computer monitor, and and it should it should look like that. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Quick. This one's a straightforward one. Uh, just want some clarification. Uh, the difference between over the wire and pigtail catheters, and maybe Philip, you can just comment on what is offered by Transonic for over the wire, right? Basically, every catheter, the pigtail can be straightened by the wire passing through. At the end, you may, when you receive the catheter, you may cut the tip and pass the wire through the catheter, any catheter with the pigtail end. Mm-hmm. So then you're putting the wire into the ventricle, right or left, because most cardiologists I work with, they are used to put the wire first and then slide the catheter into position, which right. most of you guys do. So yes, we adhere to that too so we open the pigtail and you can do the wire first catheter second and is there a specific wire uh, or a range of uh, ones it's the same thing the, as tim mentioned 0.035 j-tip guide wire we s- supply but any wires smaller than that will fit uh, into the lumen and you can wire them anywhere in the heart or uh, left ventricle atrial i saw so you can do yes any wire fit smaller than the the 0.35 fits through the lumen of the catheter. If you have a bigger wire, however, I've seen that too, uh, you can get stuck in the lumen, which is not, it's quite bad situation. So. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> we did yes. that one. Yeah. Tim speaking from yeah. experience. <laughs> Very good. Okay, perfect. So effectively, and you know, it, yeah, for those that have a lumen, it can be sourced as a pass-through one into the other yes. and, and put over the right. wire. And the wires are much easier to guide than the catheters themselves. So if you can get the wire where you want to go, then the catheter will always follow that. Yes. Sometimes with a thinner wire, they're not always stiff enough, and they'll pop back out. And yeah. so the, the 035 wire is really ideal. If you have like a 014 wire that's stiff, that, that'll oftentimes work as well. But sometimes you'll find that you'll get your thin wire in place, and then you're starting to push the catheter along, and, it, and it'll pop the wire right back out. So the bigger wire tends to work better, but it's not – if you get a stiff 014 you'll you'll be fine as well perfect very good all right let's make this our final question i guess it's for philip and and tim depending on what's the largest animal model you've worked with we've got a specific question about mm-hmm. doing pv loops in cows or even larger animals like horses for the cows and, and especially a racing horse area of pv research we would work with you in terms of spacing of mm-hmm. the recording rings because we would need to know certain breeds of the horses, especially racehorse. They have a enlarged LV cavity, or sometimes uh, 
we won't be able to capture it fully if there mm -hmm. is no, but we can work with you if you know, or if you can measure for us the LV cavity size, mm -hmm. and then we can build around the catheter. You probably could get close by ultrasound looking at LV size. I would yeah. think one of the other issues would be the length of the catheter as well yeah. and your access point. Correct, yeah. So is it going to be long enough to get yes. from your access point? 45 inches is the, yeah, the length, and uh, yep. we can build also longer catheters, which yes. we did also, yeah. Okay, perfect. So in short, it's a custom approach. So reach out to you guys and the critical information is to have long axis length and and, and possibly like the, the length of the approach through the vessels. You know, if it's especially if it's going to be like a femoral right. access, right. it's going to be a yep. long journey. Right. Okay. But yes, yes, uh, we are open to work with anybody. Uh, actually, we do. So yeah, don't hesitate to contact us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next time.